Hello and welcome to the Alex Dowsett episode of Sigma Sports Presents Matt Stevens Unplugged. Now, this is the second Alex in as many weeks following Mr. Richardson last week. Um, I do believe, um, subject to, to confirmation, of course, it's the only time in podcast history that have been back to back weeks of Alex. Now, what can I tell you about this week's Alex? Well, Mr. Dowsett is coming to the end of a fantastic career on the bike, and he tells me all about how he's been preparing for life after the peloton for quite some time. We chat all about his career, and he explains how winning a stage of the Giro early on was perhaps the worst thing that could have happened to him. He also has some very interesting things to say about power meters and how most people use them wrongly, especially for time trialing, and you don't want to miss that. Plus, this is the first ever episode of the podcast to feature a neutral zone at the start, and you'll see what I mean. Fans of the Hometown Quiz will be getting anxious about whether there will be a much-loved question about his local Greg's Bakery, and that's totally understandable, but please don't worry, of course I've included one. So, jump on your turbo trainer, stay glued to your watts per kilo, keep it ticking along at a rate that's just beyond comfortable, and let the dulcet tones of Alex Dowsett take you back to a place of comfortable oral distraction. Or, just sit on the bus, or continue doing the ironing, or whatever. You know it's that time again, Podcast. Alex Dowsett is on the cusp of moving on to the next chapter of his life as he retires from the pro peloton, having enjoyed an illustrious career. He's a time trial specialist and raced for a host of the biggest teams in cycling. Team Sky, Movistar, Katusha Alpecin and Israel Premier Tech. He's also a former world hour record holder and has won a couple of stages of the Giro d'Italia too. As a haemophiliac himself, Alex founded the charity Little Bleeders to help kids with a condition to engage in sport. But... What does he know about the supermarkets of Malden in 1958? Well, there's only one way to find out, folks. Alex Dowsett, welcome to Max Stevens Unplugged, mate. How are you? Very well, thank you. How are you, Matt? I'm good, mate. I'm good. I'm I'm um, I'm located in a different place than I normally pod. I'm in my downstairs dining room, so it's slightly more echoey. Um, but there is a cherry picker two doors away. So if you hear like a, some mechanical digging sounds, that's just the cherry picker repairing a property a couple of doors away. Um, but yeah, I'm good, mate. And where, where in the world are you? And could you please describe the location in as much detail as you can to, to put uh, the listener fully in, 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 in the zone? It's going to be one of those like, um, God, it must be nice being you. And <laughs> sat in, a, in quite a nice Italian hotel overlooking in Tuscany, um, with the mag- backdrop being beautiful green hills and rolling countryside. Um, yeah, it's nice. It's really nice. Um, I'm sat on my bed. I mean, it's, it's those like Italians don't like duvets. They have these really thin sheet style duvets that are they do, yeah. Yeah, very like flat pillows. So, you know, it's not all it's not all sunshine and rainbows. But yeah, I'm, I'm yeah. It could definitely be worse right now. You, you do sound very, very relaxed, actually. Um, mm. I hope, I'm, I'm sure, um, the, in the early stages of this pod, I mean, essentially in the neutral zone right now, probably got another couple of Ks <laughs> of that. Um, the, the, all- just, uh, a neutral zone somewhere, not stressed. Neutral zone like in Italy, because neutral zones in, in like Belgium or Holland are some of the most stressful areas to be. And the neutral zone in Tour of Qatar was, was biblical. Um, <laughs> so- yeah, N- neutral zones are the places where 
you actually, if it is one of those races where you know it's going to go from the gun or it's going to be crosswinds or it's just, yeah, the opening stage of a grand tour when everything, you know, it's just, or one of the early races in the, in the season, neutral zones are where the nerves are just amplified, aren't they? Mm, yeah, it's, um, yeah, I just, I, I mean, you can, Tour of Qatar was the, the, like, the, the ultimate neutral zone. Like, you could lose, you could lose the race there before the flag even dropped. <laughs> the restaurant before like, the flag dropped. I, and that's, yeah, that was, uh, that, that was unique. Um, yeah. Instead, I think everyone's, like, not Belgium and Holland, but everywhere else, if you need to be in position, it's like a really polite fight. Like, no one wants to be that guy that takes all the risks in neutral and mm. is dangerous. But you kind of, you're trying to work your way to the bunch whilst apologising to everyone like you didn't mean to just put your handlebars into a gap that didn't really exist. You're like, oh, oh, sorry, sorry. No, it's my fault. That's it, yeah. It's, it's, yeah. That's a really interesting point because you are trying to, especially if you've got any sort of objective in the race, primarily to stay within the peloton, uh, which is the way I looked at it quite often, um, was to be as far near as the front as you can. But, Mm cleverly and and very politely but once that the flag drops it all the impoliteness returns doesn't it so there's a neutral zone not just in terms of racing but in terms of etiquette at the same yeah. time but then once the breakaway goes the politeness returns again totally and you just but i mean there's different strategies for that like you i i i employ the the chat and move off a wheel um so you you ride up to an old friend who's on Who's who's where you want to be? Not even an older friend, maybe a youngster that you can you can sort of grace with your presence, or a, um, <laughs> a, a you know, just someone who's done well recently. You're like, yeah, oh, mate, how's it going? Whilst you just slowly and politely maneuver them off the wheel that they're sitting on and yourself onto it. And you're like, wow, well, it's good to see you. Good to see you now. Go, you can drop back now. <laughs> yeah, very. I mean, I, that 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 comes with age, doesn't it? That, that's when you really uh, you've found your sort of way in the peloton. Um, yes, I, I yeah. do. I do love a good neutral. I'm, do you know what? Because it's such a great subject. Um, the longest neutral zone I've ever been in. Because I'm going to ask you a neutral zone question in a minute. Um, it was 25 miles long, and it was <laughs> yeah. Honestly, mate, it was in the milk race in about 1991 or 92 or something. Of course it was. And it was was Birmingham to Aberystwyth. So that's quite a long way. That's Um, crossing countries almost, isn't it? It it is, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, But the milk race, because it was pro-am and the am being the the, the main bit, amateurs could only race above, we couldn't race above 180 Ks. So all they did, I think the race was 210, but the first 40 K... Um, so it got to the distance. They just said, oh, we're just going to neutralize it. So we had an hour and 20, because we're only bowling along at club run speed before we actually yeah. started racing. Um, oh. So that was that was quite interesting. Was the weather all right for it? It was a sunny day. Oh. So I just you know, we were just sort of just bowling on the outskirts of, uh, of, of Birmingham. It's quite quite lumpy actually around there. But um, then I forgot that we were in a race when the flag finally dropped. I thought oh, they're just out for an enormous club run. But, yeah. um, but there we go. But there we go. Um, What's the longest neutral you've been in, Alex? Uh, no, I, no, nothing, nothing. That I haven't got a story like that, Matt. To be honest, um, yeah, nothing crazy. There's been, it, it's the ones that are. They're not necess- They're a bit unnecessarily long, like eight or ten k. Yeah, <clears throat> they're lumped onto the start of an absurdly long stage. 
So you're just like, oh, I've got a 250K stage. And then you're like, what? There's 8K in front. Oh, okay. Well, <laughs> the, the wor- one of the worst culprits, I think, if you can actually, um, yeah, uh, anthropomorphize a, a stage race would be, I think, the Giro. Yeah, I mean, because because we do flag to line comms now, have done for the last few years, and one of the first things we look at because we come on air quarter an hour before the neutral zone even starts, so we're waffling yeah. about you guys signing on, which is fine, yeah. uh, and then we look when then we look, like, oh my god, eight k of neutral that which we've got to chat about before you guys even take off. Mm. So that's that's a big thing for me these days is looking in the road book and preparing myself for the length of the neutral zone. Anyway, I think I think Niall has just dropped the flag. I think the podcast can officially start. <laughs> there we go. Right. <clears throat> just going to clear my throat because I've already had two oat milk flat whites, which are clogging up my windpipes ever so slightly. Um, Alex, don't you just on the tour of Britain? Um, did obviously ended. In, in it's quite sad, wasn't it? The way the way it wrapped up the race. But did, were you as you were riding? your 11th Tour of Britain. Hmm. You were doing a hell of a lot of work, obviously, um, because the team were riding well. Yes. Uh, you, had, you had the race lead. So I was talking about you and uh, mm-hmm. a lot on air. But as you were doing the job that you do so often, what was going through your mind? Were you realising that this is going to be the, you know, the last Tour of Britain, one of the last stage races I'm ever going to do in my, in my career? What, what was your thought process going through that race, mate? Um, I hadn't really got to that point, to be honest. Okay. Uh, Richie, Richie had mentioned it a few times. Like I think stage three, he was he sort of rocked up the side. I mean, Richie, Richie was annoyingly happy. Um, right. I, I really, after a couple of days, I was like, Richie, this, I'm finding this a bit unnerving because we haven't had a an argument yet. We haven't. Um, I haven't even heard you shout at anyone yet. This isn't <laughs> this isn't the Richie that I know. Um, and he was like, oh, final, the last ever stage three we'll do, Alex. And I was like, oh, yeah. Um, I think was, we knew we had such a big um, opportunity to, to win the race and um, we really were waiting for the Friday and Sunday, um, especially with Mike and Dylan. Yeah. Um, all our efforts were focused on that. So I, I, my head was in the race and... I had to, I had to really, um, oh, I had to, uh, yeah, I've had to focus hard on that because you know, we had, Tour of Britain's a hard race. It's grippy, isn't it? Especially yeah. eight road stages as well. You know, you're, I was like, it's going to be really nice to do my final Tour of Britain, but I need to be mentally ready for that because it's eight stages. It's eight really hard road stages. I'm going to have a big job to do. So um, certainly wasn't thinking about, uh, I, I would actually say it wasn't until I noticed on stage five, the, the final stage, um, that the support for me had increased. Um, okay. Hearing my name outside the road a bit more, and a few more people outside the bus, I guess, and, and that was starting to that was starting to hit home a little bit. Um, and yeah, so I, I, I was very excited for the last few days, and, and Chanel was coming out with Juliet. Um, or did was yeah did come out and yeah, but I think up until that point, I certainly was not of the frame of mind that this is my last race. It was like this is this is a race that we can do really well in, and and kind of thought how it would be really some there'd be quite something to go out on a winning um, in a winning team uh, as well. Just real, real good feeling when you come away from a race win 
um, we'll come away from a race for having having won it as a team, and I think we were looking good for it. So yeah, it's it a shame, but it was you know completely understandable. Yeah. Um, I couldn't exactly be upset with anyone or anything because it was um, you know it's, it's such a massive a massive event that had happened with the Queen's passing, and and maybe uh, it was Tim Elverson, the, the Canyon. Um, the Canyon team boss that said uh, maybe there's something quite nice about it because forevermore will be like, where were you on the day that the queen passed? And yeah, that's a, yeah. My last, did my last ever stage of a stage race and Richie will be like, I did my last ever race. So maybe there'll be something quite profound with that. Yeah, maybe even, maybe even a, yeah, definitely profound, maybe even slightly depending on, I think, your your view on things, maybe the slight poignancy as well to it, you know? Yeah, I mean, Um, we rode past Balmoral. So no. on stage, she, one, she, uh, she was in, and she, she was in, wasn't she? The queen yeah. was in at the time. I mean, I thought she. I mean, I did I, at the time because we didn't know anything that was going on. Um, no. I think the only the only inkling that something wasn't right was the prime minister was meeting the queen at Balmoral rather than um, rather than down in London. Yes, uh, which was, but didn't really think twice about it. And I think I cracked a joke that you know she might come out and watch watch us roll by um but yeah, it was a, well i guess fairly good excuse for for not um, yeah so yeah i wish i was watching from a window indeed well i i did i did make a bit of a faux pas i um i said oh there's a big that's a big stately home we're rolling by now and then then i realized that it was actually balmoral um so yeah I've done that a few times, but yeah. Um, no, but yeah, I definitely, um, and I think Rich has gone on record. It's, I think it was on, online yesterday, the day before that, um, because of the way the race ended, um, he wasn't conscious that it was going to be the last race he ever did. And that's quite, that's even different again, isn't it? I mean, you, you're, you've got some, a couple more races on your program, haven't you? You're, yes. you're a day away from, obviously you're in Tuscany you're racing tomorrow, which I'll be commentating on. Yeah. Um, but yeah, for Richie, um, didn't know, so that's that's again going to be slightly odd, isn't it? Because you pinning on your number for the last time is a, is is a massively significant thing. Yeah. Oh, and all the emotions around the crossing that finish line for the final time, I can imagine, yeah. is, is is very um, yeah, is a it is a big moment. So it's uh, yeah, that that would have been. I mean, I found it strange. Um, woke up to a text message the following morning saying we're not. The, the news we had is we were not racing on the Friday, but we might still race on the Saturday, Sunday. And yes, then yeah. up on Friday morning to a text message, right? Here's the exit plan for the team. Um, that's it. There we go. Um, but yeah. so, what do you have left in your in your in these final few weeks, um, Alex? Because I see Pro Cycling stats said no races on the program. You are obviously in Italy. You're about to uh, mm-hmm. race again. What will be, as far as you're aware, your last race? Well, at the moment, I'm uh, looking looking at Chrono Donations as being my final race, um, okay. which is nice. It's a nice, um, I think it's a nice touch. It's a nice way to, um, nice way to go out uh, with a TT. Um, up until then, I'm very yeah, racing Toscana tomorrow. Uh, Memorial Pantani on um, Saturday, I think. Yep, and then uh, Munster. Um, and one or two, I think in a week I race in France, Belgium and Italy. Okay. In, in early October. And then, yeah, then Corona donations on the 16th. And then that is it. Indeed. I mean, I, um, I've watched your 
video, uh, your final video. Well, not your final video. That's not going to be your final video. There's going to be a lot more videos to come it's from you, I am sure. <laughs> so I watched your final video. I, I watched your um, orange sofa yeah. red um, uh, final announcement of your retirement, if I can finally get my words out. But to one thing I noticed, mate, as you sat down, because I do I have my previous job, I pick up on these little things. Mm. As you sat down, you took an in, you, there was an in, an intake of breath. And that intake of breath, to me, was nervous. You you breathed in, but it wasn't like, it was, it was, it was trembling ever so slightly. And it's quite a big announcement that was made, wasn't it? When you sat down, you just hit, it, it wasn't, a, there wasn't really a preamble. You just said, I'm not going to be racing the World Tour next year. How did you feel? Just to, I mean, obviously you'd made that decision, but it's a big deal going on the record and you've got a lot of followers on on on, uh, on YouTube and across on Instagram as well. So there's a lot of people really interested and care about what you do. And I got the sense that was, I mean, you still got some races underneath your wheels to, to do, but that was, was it, were you nervous is my question. Oh, yeah, I was nervous. Yeah. Um, we kind of, I mean, Chanel and I had been putting off filming the video, so it got to a point where it was like <laughs> Juliet was asleep and yeah. Um, Okay, we can, we can get this. We can get this video done now, and and um, it took a couple of takes to do it, um, but it was yeah. And I had written a bit of a script for it, and then proceeded to not follow it in the slightest. And uh, yeah, I just yeah. I mean, it was it was nerve wracking before and then I got into the flow of doing it and I, I think the bit where it really hit me was was pressing um like you, you make a video public I just uploaded yes that pressing that was was far more significant than uh than I thought it would be it was like I mean it's a decision that I've known about for a long time yeah. um and yeah we is then pressing play on it was was or pressing make public on it was the most significant part to be honest because uh, because that then made it very real and that that took me by surprise how emotional I was about it at that point um, mm. so I, I mean I'd say yeah there was I was nervous starting to film the video but I was the the real big moment for me was when the video went live and that twenty four hours when it was starting to when people were starting to sort of realize it even my family um i'd I'd got a message from my parents being like are you you sure and i was like yeah of course i'm sure you've known about this for for a long time um and and yeah that that bit was the was the significant part and it was nice a lot of others a lot of other people reached out that had recently retired to like offer up advice um sort of encouragement say you'll you'll be surprised the amount of uh doors that open now that you've announced it and and they weren't wrong um which was yeah which was pretty cool and and yeah that was it was it was big yeah I, 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 as you, as you just described um i sensed that nervousness with just the first few seconds but once that You'd got that off. That that, that bit was done. I'm I'm going to be retiring or hanging. And I'm not, but not fully. I'm going to still be involved in cycling. It then just turned into a really interesting conversation and a bit mm-hmm. of reflection, a little bit of looking forward. So once that bit was done, that was the hard bit underway you know, to redo that, obviously. But it's it's a very modern way of of announcing retirements. You know, like a, a lot of 
let's go back to the start of your career, for example, and riders retiring then, um, don't have the same, even now the bigger riders, they wouldn't have been anywhere near the same platform. It would have got some column inches, a bit on Cycling News. Nobody had their own YouTube channels in 2010, really. Um, not to the extent people have got now, but, and then a lot of riders do actually just fade away as well. And, and f- from, from my perspective, and, and I, I think, I think I'm right. And you put me, put me right if I'm not, um, that you've, the way that you've curated your own, um, life over the last few years, um, you are clearly looking ahead. So there's like a, a, a really nice natural overlap bringing people into your life as a pro and to a degree your 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 personal life as well. I love the stuff with, with Chanel. It's, it's great, so entertaining yes. and and open, uh, accessible. Um, and it's really laid over your pro career really nicely. And now you've got that. And as you said, there'll be lots of other things that I've no doubt you will be doing. And I'm looking forward to seeing what you're going to be doing. But that was, was that a conscious effort to to overlay that, to sort of make some groundwork or lay some groundwork, digital groundwork for the future? Uh, or was that, or was it just something you thought, oh, this would be fun. Um, I wouldn't mind doing this. I think it was. So I had a manager um, back in, uh, yeah, my early early days when I finished, when I finished with Team Sky, started from Movistar all the way through to Katusha, a, a, a manager called named Sky Andrew. Yeah. Um, most famous for being a football manager. I was his one and only cyclist. I think um, I've met him a few times at some fun- at your yes. um, little bleeders functions. And stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, he, right from the early days, he instilled into me, he's like, you have to be working on life after sport now because yeah. if you do it in the last uh, couple of years, you won't. Um, You'll fail. And and he gave me sort of two examples of that, one being David Beckham and one being Steve Redgrave. And, you know, you've got Steve Redgrave, who was up until Chris Hoy and Jason was the most decorated Olympian of all time, or British Olympian of all time. And, and actually is not the, he's like, he is not the household name that he should be. Um, yeah. because he but then the flip side to that is Steve Redgrave was only at, like he was the ultimate athlete he was only ever about the sport from yes. the moment he woke up to the moment he went to sleep so that was it was always a conflict in my mind it was like if, if I'm working on something else does that mean I'm detracting from my sport if, am I yeah, yeah. a lesser am I not as good as I could be at cycling because I've I'm diluting my focus um but then I think so I, and, and certainly there was a couple of projects I started, um, still exist, but have not had my full attention. And as a result, they're not as far up the road as they could or should be because I've always been like, I am a pro cyclist first and foremost. Um, so like a coaching company that I set up still runs, still, it does okay, but, um, you know, it's not, it's not what it could be. Um, and yeah. And so, but I think the good thing with little bleed, not little bleed, sorry. Um, with YouTube and the social media is like, right, well, this is something that we can do on the go. This is something that doesn't take away from, um, this is a business opportunity. And, and what I've realized as well with little bleeders and my charity is, is the work I did for that. I would do, in my off season. And that was something that I felt was always bigger than 
than cycling. It was bigger than sure. my sport. And um, as I, I realized the value in my story. I realized the value in telling a story. Um, and then we, Chanel and I, um, Chanel being an expert in marketing, yep. um, we realized there was a massive space within cycling, within pro cycling for YouTube. Uh, no one was doing it. Um, it was just actually a teammate at the time was the only other pro cyclist who was doing YouTube. And his, his name was Willie Smith. Um, so it's like, and this is this is a space we can we can enter. And I think what I realized quite quick is I I actively enjoyed taking people along from the for the journey. Um, and I felt like I was giving always giving something back. Um, giving a honest uh, insight into pro cycling, which I think pro cycling really needs. Um, And just far more transparent than, than other pros were. And yeah. And and, and we, yeah, we found, we found a space there. And I think that's been, that has ultimately been the, the life after pro cycling that I've been working on Uh, perhaps a little more organically than, I thought, whereas in the early days, it was like, right, we'll set up a business and run a business and, and but setting up a startup and running a business is a full-time job. Yeah. And I was a full, t- I had a full-time job, which was pro cycling. And so it's so all that organically moved into, um, yeah, YouTube and social media and actually, um, actually doing it properly and, and effectively. And I think that's why, and, and the the the, sh- the sheer strength of storytelling, and that's yeah. something I realised um, in Commonwealth Games tw- twenty fourteen was having a something different, having an angle, um, honesty. You know, Commonwealth Games is not big in cycling, but it is is big for the UK. Um, yeah. I got a gold medal in twenty fourteen. Now, prior to that. Um, I was due to do the Tour de France, which was a UK, which was the Yorkshire start. And I, yep. I picked up a cold a week before, just an innocuous like cold. And the team was like, we're real sorry, Alex, you cannot start the Tour de France with a cold. Um, wow. So I got pulled out. And so after the, I was, I was fuming. I was absolutely livid. It was, it felt like such an injustice because I'd done everything right. I was in yeah. great shape. Um and then I won Commonwealth Games and got interviewed afterwards. And, and you know, a load of – it was on a day that I think a load of uh, Home Nations riders won. I, Tom Daly got a medal, who was you know, the biggest name athlete. Um, but then when the newspapers came out the next day, I realized my my piece seemed to be – seemed to take more uh, space than – anyone else's in the, in the papers. And that was mainly because I, in the post-race interviews, I think everyone else had done the usual, you know, thanks to my coach, thanks to my parents, thanks to all this. I'm really happy. I've worked really hard for this and this is a dream come true. And my one, I was just like, oh, I've just been really, really angry this last month. I've just <laughs> sat there at night stewing over not, doing the Tour de France and it's been no one's fault. I've been, not been angry at anyone. I've just felt this is really like an absolute injustice. And I poured all of that into today. And I think that, you know, that was something that was very, it was very different. Um, 
and that then that became the sort of the bigger story from the day. Um, and I'm not saying I used that into in the future. I never created anything. It was like you know, fast forward to the Giro win in 2020 with with the contract and and uh, the baby, like Juliet was on the way, and the absolute fear for the future. That, that none of that was fabricated. None of that was created to um, like create the emotional response there was from it. Like that was, I was like, this is the situation. This is exactly how emotionally involved this situation is. So I'm going to tell it exactly how it is because, um, why would I, why would anything else would be a lie? Like this is so much bigger than winning a bike race with the, what's at stake here. And I think it's important Uh, that people know. Totally. I I think, um, and, and the fact that, um, obviously there's, obviously I, was at GCN and we were doing stuff on, on YouTube trying to tell these stories. But um, when it's when the story is told by somebody else and there's an interviewer there, it, it's good because it can facilitate many things. But quite often when you – but essentially it's a filter of some sort um, and there's a different way. When you're interviewed, depending on the person, it's very different than just speaking directly into a camera or directly into a microphone and just pour, not necessarily pouring out your heart, but sometimes that, that's what you've – that's what you've done. You've you've been quite raw, quite unfiltered, and um, that's human. And I think with the way the sport has gone, the sport in general, um, and how how elite it is, how how competitive it is, that's great. But we want to be reminded sometimes, and we crave it because we are social creatures. We crave the humanity within all that, and I think that's what you're punching through with. You've still got that incredible technical knowledge and insightfulness which deconstructs many elements of the sport um again completely unfilled you sit there and say this is these are my thoughts what do you reckon bang and you come out with it and i love that but then but you you balance that with this you know this real emotion which which does strike a chord in no way does it appear to be fake and it it isn't and and i've obviously i'm a little bit older than you and we had slight overlap of careers but my career now uh, some big big moments in my career especially the most emotionally uh, resonant moments were commentating on your hour last year and then commentating on your win in the giro and and i was i was co-commentator luckily because i think i'd have actually broken down because declan was commentating you crossed the line first uh, and i was welling up i had to mic off i don't think i told you that because it because i knew how much not just it meant the win but how significant an impact that win meant for your life for the next two years you know supporting your family so when all that power punches through and that's the and these are all stories that people want to hear people want to be reminded of the of the ups and downs in life you know and um i think that's what you're doing really well is what i'm trying to say thank you thanks it's just honesty that's that's yeah what it boils down to i think yeah, there's a lot of bike riders have a camera put in front of them. Understandably, get intimidated and scared that they'll say the the wrong thing. And and I can understand. I've said the wrong thing in the past, and it's the internet then becomes a a horrible, horrible place. Um, yeah, oh, totally. Blimey, that's the flip side, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. So you have to be, you know, you have to be a bit careful. It's like anger, anger never goes down well. I think. Um, yeah, it's. You can be angry, but it's it's how you channel that. I think yeah. it's really important. Have you are you have you been somebody that's obviously you're in there now a lot talking talking to people about what's happening? But, um, but do you 
I often ask people this, especially people who've been particularly successful. Do you often reflect back on on, on your achievements over the over the, your your career? Uh, do, do you have time for that? I mean, I'm sure you will now. Maybe resurrect a few and and, and, and deconstruct them for us again. Just relive them. But do do you ever uh, have time for any reflection? Um, nah, I'd say this year has been the first year that I've actually done that um, because. I've got to this point where I, I don't, I, I feel like I'm maxed out. Um, I don't think I can, I don't think I can win more at this level. And, yeah. and that's fine. Like I'm completely okay with that. I'm, I've, I'm really happy with what I've won. I've, I'm happy with how I've applied myself over the years, the sort of steps I've taken to try and be the best bike rider I can be. Um, and, yeah, it's been a massive learning. I, I wouldn't say I've I've been tried to be the best bike rider I can be at all times. I've I've uh, I, the Giro twenty thirteen Giro stage win was was brilliant, but it was probably one of the worst things that could have happened to me because I then spent a couple of years thinking I was like I was one of the best time trialists in the world uh, because that win had come relatively easy, uh, too easy really, and I then took my foot off the gas. Uh, right. trying to improve and then the game the game overtook me um so yeah but i i this year i've just been like you know i'm i'm i i see the tt game moving on it's uh, and i my terreno time try I, I did probably one of my best ever tts in terreno this year you're um, fifth weren't you yeah fifth yeah. behind yeah. asgrin ghana yeah um Pogaccio and Evanpole. Um, it was just hit. It was it was a hitter top ten, wasn't it? I oh, mean, the guys you the guys you put away. It was a proper proper good ride. That yeah, was. I think we're only missing Van Aert and Rowan Dennis, yeah. to be honest. Um, and I was and I, 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 honestly, Matt, I'd put zero effort into that. I hadn't ridden my TT bike all winter because I was like, I'm going to be a laid out man this year. And I was doing the warm up. I was like, this power meter's over reading because. Like the 400 watts was far too easy and got going. Uh, and the power meter was just reading 500 all the time. And I was like, ah, this is, this is overreading. So I just gave <laughs> it on bill. And then when all the, I was off really early, I said, I asked the team if I could go off early so I could go back to the hotel and watch a movie. <laughs> I love it. Love it. I had to sit in the hot seat. And there's like all these hitters came in and were slower. I was like, oh, maybe the power meter was right. <laughs> <laughs> thinking so, Alex. I love the fact when you think about, as re- relatively speaking, how quite. Sorry, that's people follow me on Zwift. Let me just mute this off. Sorry, <laughs> flipping it. That's embarrassing. Right. <laughs> sorry about that. Um, how, how quantifiable, to a degree, uh, not as much as the track, but how quantifiable time trialing is. But then there's these moments, um, clearly, where. You like you can't explain why your form is suddenly good. Mm. You can met you. There's all there's all these metrics available now. All these uh, these tools available for athletes to essentially understand where they're at, even psychologically and physiologically. But sometimes you just get on a bike. Mm-hmm. You, you think, oh, okay, I'm reasonably ready for this race. I'm in reasonable shape. Or you think, or you just middle of the road, and then suddenly you turn the pedals, and there's something there which you cannot explain, mm. and. And, and I think that's another, that's something that isn't really discussed very often in these, these days of wanting to understand and quantify everything. 
that's quite a beautiful thing, isn't it, within sport? You can just get on the bike and there's a little bit of magic still there. You can't explain your own body. It's, yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yep. Uh, that's, <laughs> talk about that all day. Um, yeah. I think there's an element of all the all the power technology have, have taken the art of listening to your own body away. Um, I, I think they're, they're, the positives around them outweigh the negatives, but there are negatives. Um, I mean, certainly I think for a, an awful lot of people, the power meter has slowed down time trialists. Uh, okay, that's interesting. Okay. Because everyone everyone wants a big number, don't they? Yeah. Like, and, but also that first five minutes, no one's listening to their – the first five minutes of a TT, I think, is the only place where you need a power meter. And I think it's the only place where everyone really uses the power meter badly. So you, you roll down the ramp, you're full of adrenaline, like, you're like this is it, we're off. And yeah. power just comes so easy in that first like, two minutes. Yeah. And I, I, I try and say this to the youngsters. I, I mean, let's sort of work on the basis that most world tour riders are doing around 400 watts for a tt um yeah. you roll down the ramp you're looking down at sixes sevens and eights as you accelerate and i would say get that down to 400 as fast as you can so because you'll settle into 500 and in the like you'll have on one shoulder you'll have a voice telling you to get it down to 400 and on the other shoulder which is the one you'll listen to until it starts hurting You'll be saying, maybe today's the day you can average 500 for 20 minutes. <laughs> oh, brilliant. Find pretty quickly that it isn't. Um, yeah. You, uh, can, you can actually see that in some time trials when there's, there's riders that, obviously really good bike riders, who post a ridiculously quick first intermediate split and you're like, oh my God. Mm. And even my limit, not limited knowledge, I mean, I was never a tantras, but I, I, I think I understand it, you know, as best, best I can. Um, but I thought, mm, that looks a little bit too quick. And, you know, it's 2K an hour quicker than everybody else over 5K. That's unsustainable. And then they just quickly drop weather. That's probably an example of that happening, isn't it? Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it's, it's, yeah, I remember I had a TT in Germany in 2015. And this is a story I tell people quite a lot. And a, a young Mark Soler, um, yeah. who, very inquisitive rider. Um, he... Uh, I'd won the TT, um, and afterwards he said, "He said to me, Alex, can I ask you about your time trial? It was, it was about a thirty-minute, thirty-minute time trial, roughly." Um, yeah. I said, "Sure." He says, so first question is how. Uh, what was his first first question? How heavy are you? Because to the Spaniards, that's the most important thing. Yeah, it's, it's not done in watts; it's done in watts per kilo, even if it's pan flat. Um, I was like, oh, I'm pushing 80 kilos at the moment because it was just after the hour record. He was like, ah. Oh. I said, well, and he's like, oh, I'm, I'm 70 kilos. Okay. Okay. And he said, now, oh, how much power did you do? I said, oh, 395 watts. And then you see the puzzled look on his face. And I was like, go on, how much power did you do? And he said, oh, 400. And then he sort of, his face relaxed. He said, ah, oh, well, you must be more aero than me. I said, well... I said, maybe, but not two and a quarter minutes more aero. Um, yeah. <laughs> we're on the same equipment, mate. Yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah. And he says, well, then I, then I don't understand. I said, let, let me ask you about your time trial. Um, it was after one kilometer, I was, always 10 sec- I was already 10 seconds ahead. And right, blimey. 
Yeah, and it's only because I'd sat down pretty much off the start ramp and accelerated in the tri bars rather than on the base bar because it's 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 more aero for less power. Um, yeah, I said what there there was a section of the course where we we're up on a up on a, um, a crest and then you descended into a climb, which is a bit you know different to the usual go up then go down. This was go down and then go into an up. Tell me, on the downhill, how much power were you doing, Mark? And he said, ah, 400 watts. And I said, okay. cool. And how fast were you going? He's like, 60K an hour. I was like, right. Um, and the uphill, how much power were you doing? He's like, 500. No, he said, 400 watts. I said, cool. Um, I'm not going to ask you how much, how fast you were going. I said, but just let me tell you what I did. Uh, when I got to the downhill, I sat on the top tube, but this is when it was allowed. Yeah. Um, so I was doing zero watts. You were doing 400. I was doing zero. You were doing 60K an hour. I was doing 70. Uh, so I was doing 400 watts less than you were, and I was going 10 kilometers an hour faster. Blimey. And so when we start the climb, I'm already carrying more speed. I then proceed to ride 500 watts up the climb because I've had so much rest on the downhill, and which means I'm doing more watts per kilo than you. And then so I crest the top of the climb faster than you. So I then don't have to accelerate after it as much as you do. And I've, I've just rinsed you in every stage of that, that section. I mean, that could have been like 40 or 50 seconds just in that small sector. And my average power for that would have been less than yours. And yeah, you see the clock's ticking and it was like, ah. Oh. Like- <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, it was great. I mean, I always with Ryan Mullen, I'd always wind him up because we had uh, we went through a few years where we'd be roughly the same time. Like he'd beat me or I'd beat him. I would yep. always be 30 watts less than than he had. And it just used to wind him up something chronic. So, um, yeah, and, and I think that's where power meters, though, have slowed people down a bit because I think they they are searching for this, maybe from a, some from an ego perspective to get back to the, I don't know, the bus or the village hall and go, wow, yeah. I averaged – um, this much and you know like Ghana's numbers are always the ones that everyone wants to talk about and 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 to an extent that's what teams look at like yeah. teams look at numbers so if you um, you know if you if you do big numbers you there's more of a chance that a team will look at you compared with if like me you do like you know reasonably modest numbers even if the results are better Um which I can understand. There's more potential in someone with a bucket load of power that isn't going very fast than someone who's maxed out but actually physiologically can't squeeze much more out. Um, yeah, or it's or it's just a lack of a lack of knowledge. Yeah, it, it's a, it's a, I think find it a fascinating one. You know, riders now, a bit, the guys who are winning tours or, or, or lad, no, Jay Vine the, the other week in yeah. you know, publishes number 6.58 watts a kilo for 28 minutes something's like whoa this these are amazing numbers but what we don't want to lose sight of is the um is the intelligence and of, of riders understanding their own limitations or whatever that might be even if the limits are very high understanding them and getting the most out of them i think that uh, a, a new era and i was talking about it um um to another podcast guest, uh, another Alex actually, uh, on the pod we recorded yesterday, and we'll probably put that, these out in order. Um, Alex Richardson, who was away oh, yeah. obviously for St. Piran, yeah. and um, about the the next phase of of of, of racing, it'll, I would imagine it will seep into time trialing as well, or it already has. Is is 
is being smarter than ever and really it's just the being super intelligent about racing because it when you because i guess you were saying you were describing being oh you, you were overtaken a little bit in time trialing and then you kind of move back and at this all this information available to to everybody standards people are going quicker more efficiently um, but people are also more powerful so it was, we're just going faster and faster yeah. and that momentum can't continue there will be a finite point like 100 meters on the track and i'm really using a simple analogy here that it's never going to be running five seconds. So when you between five seconds and nine seconds is you look at that and you think, well, there's going to be a point where the 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 the, um, the fractions are, be, are going to become smaller and smaller and smaller. Um, so what's the next step? It's like, well, it's about being intelligent, and I, I think that is is to me is enormously interesting, and uh, and maybe something that you might be dipping your toe into in the next few years when you helping riders go faster. And I did love the bit when you, in your recent video, when you were saying that you really liked helping riders go fast, but not to the point where they were beating you. (laughs) I thought that was, I thought that was um, particularly, particularly good. But it's, um, I mean, before we move on to one of the most important parts of, of the, um, of the podcast, and that's your hometown quiz. Um, Just, just because I I don't want to move away from this subject because, It is fascinating. It's the current landscape. You're coming into the last few weeks of, of your career, but over the last couple of years in particular, although there's been enormous changes over the decade, over a decade you've been racing, Alex, the last few years, the shift has been nothing short of phenomenal, hasn't it? How's it been from your perspective inside the peloton? Oh, nothing short of phenomenal. Um, it's, you look at the setup that uh, I won 2013 TT stage of the Giro on and like it will be laughed at. Um, right. Cables everywhere, like skin suit that was as tight as you could possibly have. And yeah, and it's, you know, I, you see the speeds, all the records that have just been obliterated, the speeds of everything that's timed is mm. mind blowing. Like the, on the track, uh, on the TT. And then, yeah, I, I get annoyed when people look at the, like the, you know, the Tour de France having the highest average speed ever, ever, and everyone's saying, "Oh, well, that's not good." It's like, well, why is that? Why are you looking at that cynically when mm. everything else? Like, do you not think that all of that technology, the tire technology, the the uh, sort of clothing it, from an aero perspective, technology training uh, gains? Do you not think all of that is like <laughs> in the on the road race as well? Like, we just it it has been mad like you have to tick every every box and i think alex is is totally right i think from a from a world tour perspective though what's going to be super interesting because it's all very well the riders being smart but it, management has to be smart totally yeah and yeah. there's i i think there are numerous teams where that doesn't where that that is a maybe intelligence is the wrong word set in their ways um yeah. traditional a, yeah. yeah tradition set in the way you know there's a lot of this automatic like you retire from racing you become a director and in a few yeah. years maybe you'll run a team and it, it's what we've seen actually the best directors are the ones who have recently retired um yeah. who understand the sport best because it is not the same sport as it was 10 years ago when i started as i'm sure Riders who were retiring 10 years ago would say it's not the same sport as it was 10 years prior. 
Um, yeah. So you have to you have to adapt and evolve with that. And I think the sooner that from a from a pro team perspective, the sooner that all the teams realise this and and act upon it, uh, the sooner that they will they will improve and and become competitive because it's when the margins you know everyone says oh it's it's 95% the rider um that's great but when the margins between the riders are 1 or 2% and you can find 5 or 6% in a bike then that becomes the more significant gain or loss yeah um so i think that's yeah and that that's an intelligent standpoint um rethinking the way that yeah i think what ineos are doing uh i think ineos have gone through a stage where they've stood still a little bit and they're having to yeah they've been overtaken by jumbo yeah Um, totally and i don't think it's got much to do with the riders i think it's got everything to do with the with the team yeah, I, I, I had uh, Dan Bigham on a couple of a, a, a few months before his hour record, and um, that's one of the reasons he's been brought into the team with Steve Cummings. There's quite a big shake up there, mm-hmm. and and he was I was very open about that. He said, "Yeah, we have been, we we slightly trod water, not even rest on our laurels. It's just that other teams have caught up and actually overtaken. Mm-hmm. Um, so we find ourselves in a different position, and to be best equipped to take take the team through the next phase to become super competitive again. Of course, they are super competitive, but um, was to bring in a completely fresh perspective, um, and and they are racing quite differently now. And they're on, say they're on the back foot a little bit, but um, that's an, again a completely another conversation. But you're, you're right, um, that's what teams need to do. But I, I think as a as a fan, still I've always been a fan, and, and as somebody who still works and and talks about the, the stories that bike racing offers up. I think that's a, as a subtext, it's, it's just absolutely fascinating, mate, because yeah. it will continue to evolve. Cycling's not going to start. People are going to be racing bikes for, uh, unless they're hover bikes in, yeah. for a hundred years, mate. I, but I, it, it really invigorates me and excites me. Like, how do you remain competitive in this modern era? And it's being smart as well as super fit and super quick. You know, I, I love it. Yeah, no, absolutely. It's investing in yourself. Um, yeah. I think is massive. Like, you know, I think it's something that'll be clamped down on, but the the, the cost of some equipment. But well, that's an outrageous amount of money to spend on a set of handlebars or a skin suit or or whatever. But it's like, well, if you win a couple of races as a result, then it becomes one of the best investments. You know, and you get paid an extra hundred grand the following year. So you, yeah, you know, that's a, that's a pretty good rate of return. But um, a lot of bike riders aren't that long, and teams are not are too short-sighted to see that i think um you know with sponsorships if you have sponsors that make subpar equipment and you know that it's going to be a performance loss to be on a certain um or anything and i'm not i'm not making a point every team i've ridden for has has had some kind of uh with, with some kind of drawback or some kind of um limitation down to sponsorship and equipment and like that that's i think you know when teams realize that that needs to yeah it, but it's a it's tough because it's business i i only see it from the rider's perspective and yeah there's teams that have to like actually keep functioning and with that you need sponsors but also wins are the ones that attract the sponsors i mean Ineos has the dream scenario where the major backer is 
is, has got nothing really to do with cycling. So what they're interested in is, is performance. Same with Jumbo, really, with yeah. you know, a supermarket, effectively. It's, it's kind of got nothing to do. They don't care what bike you're on. What They just care that the bike rider's crossing the finish line first. Um, yeah. So that, that leads, that also aids in the intelligence way. But I mean, on with Richardson, he is, his nationals ride and also his breakaway ride in the Tour of Britain was nothing short of a masterpiece. Both of yeah, them. Yeah, yeah. We were riding in the front when, uh, on the day that Richard, myself and Retto, on the day where Richardson was, was in the breakaway. And I, like my, for that first two hours, two and a half hours, first half of the race, it was painfully easy. Yeah. Which is exactly what you should do in a breakaway, but I just, the riders don't have the the balls to do it because it's like... Yeah, they were on, when they were, because they they got like three, four minutes and they opened it up a little bit midway through and um, I I hope hope you listen to the Alex Richardson one because, and we will put these out in order because uh, he says he just told them to ride easy. Yeah, um, and, and on the big climb, they were they were still pressing on, you know, still, but they were smiling and just chatting and just okay, let's just get up this because we know the bunch are going to do the same, mm-hmm. and then open it up when the wind is going to be most of a favour. It was it was a masterpiece. I know he didn't pull off the win himself, but in terms of riding smart, um, it was a real example, uh, a real wonderful example. So our plan right. that day, our plan that day was to let the break get seven minutes to force other teams to help us chase. Right. Uh, so it wouldn't be left solely to us. But we could not ride slow enough to let it go out that far. And Blimey. that's how easy it was. Um, like sub 200 watt average I had for riding the front. But when we knew, we knew when Richardson uh, was going to drop the hammer, or we thought we did, and he did it earlier. And what he used was the like, a race's not just the Tour of Britain, but all races, inability to provide consistent, accurate time gaps. Yes. And yeah. so they really gave us the slip. We thought the gap was 2 minutes 40. It was far bigger. And then the next time check we got 5K later was four and a half, five minutes. And we're like, yeah. right, now we're in trouble. Interesting stuff, mate. Interesting stuff. And But I think... I'm not going to say it's going to be this next phase or next element of the podcast is going to be more interesting. I just think it's going to be exceptionally different. It is the Molden Quiz. Yo, yo. What's up? You all ready? Uh-uh. Let's do it. Ta-ta, turn off your phone. That's right. Get your thinking cap on. Yeah, yeah. It's time. What time? Time. Molden Quiz. So, Alex, it's time for the Molden quiz. Um, that little jingle was knocked up by Niall. Um, I, what do you reckon? Did, did you like it? Uh, would you like it? Would you like us to send it you as a ringtone? Or I could, yeah, yes, yeah, okay, absolutely, fine, okay, <laughs> right. So the Molden quiz. I'll forward it on to the mayor. Yeah, definitely. Oh, they'll be, oh, they'll be so chuffed, won't they? You'd imagine, possibly. I mean, Given um, the, the, you know, the chains that British mayors have to wear. Yes, a big necklace. It, it's, it's almost got a rap video <laughs> vibe for it, wouldn't it? Totally. Yeah. I can imagine that. Yeah. I, I can imagine that. No, we'll. Um, I'll, I'll get. I'll get Niall um, if he doesn't mind to, to to reach out, as we say these days, to the mayor of Malden. If you're listening, uh, the mayor uh, Mayor Malden or Malden the Malden Mayor. Um, hope you're good. Yeah. Right, Alex. This is a multiple choice quiz. Yeah. Um, you'll be pleased to know. So, um, if in doubt. 
have a, have a stab, really. So, are you ready? I am. How many okay. lifelines do I get? Like phone a friend or ask the audience? Well, it, generally, I, I feel my way. It's only four questions, but I feel my way through the quiz. And, and if I feel that um, a particular guest is struggling, then what I'll do, I'll start to offer up lifelines. Okay. okay? There's, a, there's definitely a 50-50 option right. that could help. But what I'm not going to do is offer them straight off the bat. Um, let's get a little bit deeper into the quiz. And if, okay. if, if I'm feeling worried for your safety and you might miss the time cut, then we'll throw in uh, a couple of these lifelines. Is that right? I'm a time cut specialist. So. <laughs> okay, good stuff. Right. Question number one. Um, it's a history-based question, really. Um, the All Saints Church in Malden hmm. has a memorial window uh, to which former US president? Right. So, okay, so the All Saints Church in Malden has a particular window, um, stained glass window, um, in memorial to which US president? Is it A, George Washington, B, Thomas Jefferson, uh, C, Abraham Lincoln, or D, the well-known president, Zachary Taylor. So it's A, B, C, or D. Washington, Jefferson, Lincoln, or Taylor in Malden. Oh. Quite a fascinating question, though, isn't it? Quite, it's quite intriguing. Yeah. Um, just, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take a stab at it. Given the, the tone of voice for the last uh, obscure... Um, Last obscure one. I'm going to go with the option D. You're going to go Zach Taylor mm. or Zachary Taylor. I, um, I, I think I might have thrown a bit of a curveball in there, a red herring. I didn't do it uh, in, on purpose. It's the incorrect answer. Oh, uh, the answer, yeah, sorry. The answer is, in fact, um, the first ever president of the United States, uh, George Washington. Oh. Um, now, I'm going to give you a bonus here. It was George Washington, but... Um, why do you think he is there? Can you think of can you think of a reason why George Washington might be celebrated in the church at Malden? I can only think it's based on a visit, um, because I mean Malden's not one of those. Uh, I mean Malden's lovely. It's just not one of those places you'd visit as a as a distinguished uh, or a notable. A person, um, it, it, yeah, I, I know what you mean. It, yeah. it, it, it isn't a visit. Uh, it, I can't, I can't give that. Basically, believe it or not, um, George Washington's great grandfather Lawrence Washington was buried, and he still is in Molden. Ah, yeah, there you go, mate. An absolute education. This oh, quiz. That was going to be my second guess. I, I thought it might have been, mate, um, but uh, we're running out of time. Yeah. <laughs> right, okay. right, question number two. I've got to hold my moleskin a bit further away now because my eyesight's failing. Um, and also my handwriting is absolutely atrocious. Well, another product, right, here we go. product placement drop there, man. <laughs> right, Molden is the location of the first shop to be designated formally as a supermarket by which company? So... Molden is the location of the first shop to be designated formally as a supermarket by which company? Okay, was it A? And it was in that was in 1958. Okay, so basically back then, supermarkets weren't a thing; they were just big shops. But the word supermarket was designated for the very first time in the UK to this particular company. Was it A. Marks and Spencers, B. Sainsbury's, C. Tesco's, or D. The Co-op? So uh, one of those brands, 
Um, Molden was the location for the first ever supermarket for one of those brands in 1958, which was it? Marks, Sano's, Tesco's, or the Co-op? Um, go with it. Oh, I reckon just based on the Tesco brand logo, looks like it could be the oldest. Like same M&S, it just seems too new. Um, yeah, I reckon Tesco. It's an old-looking logo. Is that your final answer? It is. It's correct. Well done. <laughs> Brilliant stuff, mate. Um, I don't know when Tesco's was uh, created. Perhaps um, we can find out. But um, I think Mark Suspenser's is quite old, well over 100 years. But uh, well done. Yeah, Tesco's first ever supermarket uh, was indeed in Molden. So Molden's got, got quite a lot of firsts, hasn't it? Yeah. Right. Okay. We're we're sticking with retail establishments. How many branches of Greg's are there in Molden? Okay. And for any, anybody else who's listening, Greg's is a very very popular um, bakery in the UK, doing cakes and also hot goods, so pies, sausage rolls, and the like. And it's exceptionally reasonably priced. And these days, you can even get merchandise. And I must stress right now, we are not sponsored by Greg's in any way. So, how many brands of Greggs are there in Molden, Alex? Are they one, two, three, or four? Um, three. I tell you what. What I'm going to do, um, I'm going to um, give you fifty-fifty on this. Okay. okay. So it's not three. It's not three, um, and it's not one. So it's either two or four. So I've given you a 50-50. You've used one of your lifelines. There's only one final question left after this. So um, is it B or is it D? Uh, B equates to two. D equates to four. Well, High Street's not super big. And there's not... Um, there's not... Like, that much outside of the High Street where you'd, where you'd put a Greg's, I don't think. Yeah. Oh, but then maybe there is. There's down in the industrial yard. Oh, what a dilemma. Mm. Two or four, though, because... I'm going to go yeah, with two, because then two, but then I think they should expand. Yeah. Well, yeah. The, that's your final answer, yeah, two. That is, that is my final answer, Matthew. It's correct. Wow. Well done, Squire. Well yeah. done. Um, so you've actually got two questions, right? You've got the co-op and Greg's questions, right? So that's... that's um, you're doing well. That's... Um, can't work, work that out. It's about... Or well, three quarters of the questions right, or two thirds, I think. But we've got another question to come. So, for a bonus question though, which will essentially bring you back to a hundred percent because you got the George Washington question wrong. Okay, mm. um, it is that the, the other Greg. So that the the Greg on the High Street is on thirty four High Street, and there is another Greg's on the Causeway. Okay, which is the retail part that you described. But wow. for a bonus question, and this is it's a wonderful answer. This one, um, where specifically? Is the Causeway Greggs situated? Okay, so there's one in the Causeway. It, it, I'll give you a clue. It's situated in another building, which I just love. Um, do you have any idea where the the Greggs Causeway branch is situated? Not, not in terms of where it's inside. Um, no, no. Okay. Okay, well, it, it was it was worth a punt. I'm going to tell you, it's situated on the ground floor of the travel lodge. <laughs> I'm 
absolutely wonderful. Oh, I love Britain. I flipping love it sometimes. <laughs> it's so right, though, isn't it? Yeah, it's marketing genius. I mean, it is. It, it really, yeah. I mean, that's. I mean, that's becoming more popular, isn't it? Ho- a lot of the hotels we stayed at for a tour of Britain, they, loads of them had a Starbucks yeah. at the exit. Yeah, you just you're like, oh yeah, I could I could walk out with the Starbucks cup. Exactly. Exactly. Coffee. I think it is. And any, anybody who's a regular listener to the pod, or you've just listened to this Alex Dowsett one in isolation, and you have been to Greg's at the um, at the Travel Lodge, uh, or if you're going there soon, send us a selfie. And we'll stick it online as a small <laughs> prize. Right. Okay. Um, one thing I did do, bad bit of housekeeping from my perspective. For question four, do you have, Alex, a pen or a pencil and paper nearby? Um, no, but I've got an iPad, if that helps. Yeah. Fire up the iPad. Um, get, get pages up or something like that or notes because yeah. the final question um, is going to be how many words can you make from the word Molden in 30 seconds? So I'll give you a moment or two just to set up that page on your iPad. All right, and then we'll now get Niall um, to start the countdown clock when you're ready. So it's quite a high, it's quite, obviously it's a small word. Um, we'll break it down. M-A-L-D-O-N, uh, making six words, two of them are vowels, uh, four therefore are consonants. Not, I mean, if this was uh, countdown, that's not bad, is it? It's, it's not. It's not bad. But the, the problem for me with Molden, because I've had a go at this, um, there's no e. So when you've got an o, it really changes the, the dynamic of what you can do with a word. Um, yeah. Now, uh, in 30 seconds earlier on today, um, I, I'd only been up 40 minutes. My brain wasn't um, fully on fire, but I managed to get six. But I'd, I'd just had a coffee. Okay, so that's the that's the just a, a kind of a benchmark. If you can equal six or beat it, you will get a bonus question, and you could be scoring over hundred hundred percent in this quiz, which would be astonishing. Okay. So, are you ready? Yes. Okay, um, Niall, start the countdown clock. Three, two, one, off you go. So, Alex Delsit, six times. Go on. It's a fun. It's a fun quiz. It's a podcast for the people, really. Um, so I think that's about fifteen seconds gone. We're heading into the final stretch now. Um, I can hear his little fingers, his Alex Dowsett fingers tapping away. And there we go, coming towards the end. Alex, I'm going to have to stop you there. How yeah. many words uh, do you have from Molden? And please, could you read them out? Okay. Um... I have one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, twelve. Flipping egg. Okay, <laughs> mate. That's astonishing work. A round of applause. I tell you what. There's lots of people in the and our live studio audience are shaking their head almost in disbelief. Alex, um, please list the words. And Niall, listen closely, please, mate. Uh, you'll be adjudicating. Right. I mean, there's a couple. Okay. Uh, don, like uh, the don of a. It's colloquial, but I'm going to allow it. Okay. Yep. Uh, mold. I think like the American spell it. M O L D. Okay. Okay. You could, yeah, you can have that. But we can go American. This is this is a global podcast, after all. Lad. Yes. On. Yes. Mad. Yes. Moan. Oh, moan. That's one I haven't got. Yep. No. Yep. And. Yep. 
Ann. Yep. Dan. Yep. Uh, yep. Dan is in your mate Dan. Yep. Uh, man. Yep. And Dam spelled. Uh, oh, there's two Dam. No, oh, thirteen. Dam spelled D A M and Dam spelled D A M N. Flipping it. Thirteen. Um, I'm going to give you a point and a bonus point, so it does bring you up to a hundred percent in the Molden Quiz. Alex Dowsett, absolutely fantastic stuff. Well done. Thank you. Well. Well, we, we've 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 had a wonderful chat. It's it's um I had a I do have a framework for these pods. I do clearly have questions, but the way I prefer these pods to go generally is just we just have a natter, uh, and then somehow we we insert shoehorn in the quiz. But that's been a, it's been a brilliant it's been a brilliant natter, mate. But I think there's one or two things I just want to tidy up because um, because yes. I, I think and the first one I think is massively important. Um, we mentioned Little Bleeders earlier on. I know it's a charity very close to your heart. Just for the listeners who aren't sure about what that exactly is, Alex, can you just explain a little bit about that for us? Uh, so Little Bleeders is a charity that's uh, came to uh, – well, it's a charity supporting young haemophiliacs, um, predominantly in the UK, but long-term – we want to do it globally. Um, Haemophilia is a condition I suffer from. Um, I don't like to use the word suffer. This condition that I have where my blood, without medical intervention, my blood won't clot, um, which has sort of all sorts of complicated side effects. But uh, um, to the, yeah, we use my story and stories from other haemophiliacs now it, much like cycling haemophilia has come through a, a massive uh, period of progression in the last couple of decades and uh, it's a it's a very different landscape for haemophiliacs now so we're supporting young haemophiliacs through that new that new landscape um on how to and their families and how to deal with the condition um which is you know it's, it's a lot of it's a lot of fun and it's super important and I know that um, when in your hour attempt last year, uh, that that was first and foremost that was the design on your jersey, wasn't it? I mean, that, mm-hmm. I think that shows how important it was just to really. I mean, and you're you're using your status, your your platform to to do the best you can. I, I, am I right to say you're clearly going to continue working for Little Bleeders in, in the next phase of your of your career? Absolutely, and I, I think that with what we talked about earlier, Matt, that's one of the one of the things I'd have liked to have worked on more was my haemophilia uh was my haemophilia um was little bleeders because it it is so important but i also you know what was important was me continuing to race and do well in racing that that helped to little bleeders um as much and helped the haemophilia community as much if not more so um it's certainly something we can now devote a lot more of my my own time and resources to, uh, which is which is going to be massively exciting. We've got some. We've just launched the next following this year's campaign for the sports fund, um, which is, you know, with the cost of living increase and and COVID and everything, it's been a really tough time for so many people. And what's super important for haemophiliacs is being fit and healthy and active, and. So it's some financial help to families, uh, to whether it be to take the little uh, boy to a, and it's boy because haemophilia, ninety nine percent of cases it's it's boys because of the way it's carried on the chromosome. Like my daughter Juliet is a carrier, but she doesn't um, have haemophilia, 
right carries okay. it. and so it's yeah it's financial aid to help families get their little boys to local swimming lessons or so like local uh bike race um uh, dance classes or help towards uh, equipment stuff like that just to make sure that these young haemophiliacs are staying fit and healthy and active brilliant stuff like this uh, i've been to one of your dinners in the past and i know it raised actually a a fair whack of money for that charity and you continue to do that so um yeah and where can people head if they're interested in helping out mate uh, littlebleeders.com great stuff not nice and simple yeah. and and finally um first off it's been mate it's been a, a wonderful chat it's been a little while we we um especially given the fact i'm on a lot of races but given covid i've, I've had very few interactions with with riders over the last couple of years so glad I'm glad that's kind of changing um, but I'm sure our paths will cross in the future, mate. And thanks for being so generous on the pod. Um, and if if anybody is interested, I'm sure they, they would, um, head back to our, our first ever cafe ride uh, and watch that on YouTube, actually. I think it's worth reminding people, Alex is now one of the few people who's been on the pod and on the cafe ride, because that was great. Um, my only thing about that ride was that Alex said, I'm doing this ride. I've got a ride at 260 watts for two hours. Are you cool with that? I'm like, yeah, sort of. But we did. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's a, a very uh, that pops up from time to time. It's a very red kit, that wasn't it? The Katusha, it was, the Katusha winter kit was very red. It was very <laughs> red. I think I was wearing some uh, some red kit as well. We both looked very very red actually. Looking at the pictures back, I think I wore a, a red Castelli Gabba or something. That's but that. we were both very red. But we went to the the Blue Egg and had a natter. So um, yeah, please head back and look at that, mate. And and also finally before we wrap it up, you're getting married soon as well. Yeah, October next year. I don't know if I should. I don't know if I should say the like, date and stuff. We've we've been awfully lapsed with organising it all. I think we organising an hour record ourselves was so stressful, <laughs> and so complicated. Like on a different continent, where we're just yes. like, ah, oh, yeah, wedding. Oh, that'll be fine. Like <laughs> nothing, nothing can compare to organising your own hour record attempt. So that'll be a walk in the park. And now at this point, I'm like. We're both like, well, we need to really get a move on. Yeah, but what what a lovely um, thing to set it in context because weddings are stressful. I mean, they're, they're brilliant, but they are remarkably stressful to get. But you you could just if it does get stressful, mate, just remind yourself of that. I, I remember because I was doing the broadcasting and I was on the other end of some calls and. Uh, uh, yeah, just the the logistics involved in pulling that off, and then you actually you know having to perform as well, mate. I mean, sh- uh, you know, chapeau. It was it was okay. okay. It wasn't it was unsuccessful ultimately but i think a massively successful at the same time i, yes. I, I really really do i think that's fair to say isn't it uh, we, we view it as a as a success um and you certainly could not have got anywhere close to doing it without chanel yeah um she was she took it on um was effectively the project manager for it whilst i had to train and um yeah it, it just simply wouldn't have happened without her so yeah, she is a um, she's lovely, and uh, and she's in the video as well. And um, she's a force of nature. That that woman, she really is wonderful. Um, and I'm, yeah, I'm glad you're happy uh, together, mate. I'm, I know that you're content in making your own call and retiring. And, and all I can do now is just wish you. I'm, I'm I'm really glad that I'm able to commentate on one of your last races tomorrow. All the best with that. Um, take care, mate. It's been a pleasure, and um, we'll catch up very soon. And you, thank you very much for having me.
Thanks to Perry App Gwyneth for the podcast theme tune, and thanks to you, as ever, for listening. Don't forget to like, follow, and rate the pod, and maybe give it a little review if you feel like it. And why not recommend it to anyone who's overdoing it just before the first intermediate split of their time trial if you manage to shout to them as they pass deep into the red. Now, if you want to get in touch with the podcast, please do. We actually actively encourage it. Our email address is podcast at sigmasports.com. Or you can leave a message or a voice note on our WhatsApp burner phone, the number of which is plus four four seven 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 eight three two three two six eight. And finally, a massive thanks again to Alex for joining us on the podcast today. And we do wish him all the best with the next chapter of his life. And I'm sure it'll be a huge success. Cheers all, stay safe and goodbye. Thank you.